everyone and welcome to Beyond the Canon, the Writer's Room podcast. I'm Samelia Hodge-Dalloway. And I'm Sarazai Marufu. And in this special episode, we have not one, not two, but three anthologists joining us in Beyond the Canon, the Writer's Room. We are beyond thrilled to have Kathy Perkins, Dalbia Singh, and our very own Samelia Hodge-Dalloway as our special guests. You can find out more about them and their work on our website, www.beyondthecanon.com. In the meantime, enjoy our conversation with Kathy Dalbier and Sim as you join us, your girls, Sim and Saru, in Beyond the Canon, the writer's room. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Canon, the Writer's Room. And we are so, so excited because it is our anthology session. So we have got incredible anthologists in session today, and we are going to be speaking to them in a roundtable conversation, the first of its kind. And of course, as for always, I've got Samilia with me. Say hey, Sam. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hello. Samilia <laughs> is definitely here as always, but today she is also going to be featuring as one of our guests, as she too is an anthologist. Um, just to start off with, I think we should just have an introduction of everybody who is in the room. So to start off with, we have got Kathy A. Perkins, who is a scholar and lighting designer and is the editor and co-editor of six anthologies, in addition to serving as a senior editor for the Rutledge Champion to African American Theatre and Performance, a recipient of numerous research and design awards, including Fulbright NEH NAACP Image Award and the USITT Publication Award and the ATHE Career Achievement Award in Academic Theatre. She has traveled over 40 countries as both designer and scholar. Kathy has designed nationally and internationally at such venues as Berkeley Repertory, Arena Stage, St. Louis Black Repertory and Baltimore Center Stage, Goodman, Steppenwolf, Yale Repertory and Manhattan Theatre Club, American Conservatory, <laughs> Mark Taper Forum, Congo Square and the Grahamstown Festival in South Africa. Kathy is a professor emerita at the University of Illinois at Urbana Cham Campaign. Am I saying that right? At the University Campaign. of Campaign. Brilliant. At the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. <laughs> I mean, goodness. Welcome, Kathy. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We are also joined by Dalbia Singh, and she, uh, he is a PhD candidate in performance studies at the University of Toronto. He taught courses there as well as the University of Waterloo and the University of, correct me, how do I say this? Sorry, wow. Dalbia. Wow, it's a very odd name. <laughs> Growl. <laughs> yes, it is, but beautiful to learn it. And yeah. at Waterloo, he taught the first theatre course exclusively focused on racial identity and Canadian theatre. He has edited five collections of plays and critical essays on topics including Tamil culture and identity, post-colonial theatre, South Asian Canadian drama and queer Canadian theatre. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Dalbir. And then we also have Sibelia Hodge-Dalloway, obviously, who is our wonderful founder and CEO, but she's also the founder and CEO of Artistic Directors of the Future, as well as the co-founder and creative director of Black Lives Blackwoods International Project and curatorial consultant for Manchester International Festival. Sibelia has been listed, has been listed five consecutive years in the stage top 100 power list and named in the London Evening Standards, the Progress 1000, London's most influential people in 2018, performance theater, Google and TED Emerging Innovator 2019 and included in the Who's Who 2020 publication. The standard up-to-date source book for information on people of influence and interest in all fields. In 2020, her work on diversifying arts boards in the UK at Artistic Directors of the Future was awarded the Innovation Award at the Stage Awards. <laughs> Obviously, I am a massive fan of Samelia and I always Always think it's incredible to be in a space where we can hear the most from her so thank you Sam for being part of our panel and we will also be joined um, hopefully in a little bit of a while with by Yvonne Brewster now Yvonne Brewster was born in Jamaica she graduated from Rose Bruford College of Speech and Drama in 1959 her return to Jamaica on her return to Jamaica she taught drama worked as a radio announcer television presenter and was founder um, was a founder member of the Barn Theatre in the UK after an appointment as the Arts Council of Great Britain's drama officer this is 1982 to 1984 she founded and was artistic director for 20 years of Britain's oldest black theatre company Talawa in 1993 she was made an OBE <coughs> for services to theatre in 2002 the Open University awarded her an honorary doctorate for her work in theatre she is an associate at the Royal Academy of Music. Yvonne has edited five volumes of plays written by Black Playwrights, Black Plays One, Black Plays Two, Black Plays Three, Mixed Company, Three Early Jamaican Plays, and For the Record. She is working on a sixth collection due to be published by people uh, tree uh, later this year which I'm very excited about <laughs> uh, which is so incredible that was a lot of introduction um, <laughs> mostly because you are all so incredibly accomplished I, I was thinking if we had two sentences for each of you that would be fantastic but you have all done so many and like incredible things so um, obviously my first question would be this like have you guys come across each other's work before or kind Kind of know of each other or met that would be nice <laughs> if you had met in some kind of random situation no uh, I'm not anybody can answer that <laughs> no I'm not familiar with uh, Debeer but I'm glad to be in your presence and learn more about what you've been doing see me yeah. of course I know about I've been you know uh, first of all thank you for having me here and I'm, I'm glad to see a young person is carrying on doing the anthologies because it it's a lot of work, you know. 
Mm. <laughs> no, that it is. Yeah. That it very it's, much is. It's a pleasure to meet Kathy uh, and and Alvea. And so I've um, <laughs> I'm probably the person who's connected to both of you guys, but we've never met before. So this is the first time that we're meeting. But um, Dalbir has been very instrumental um, in terms of when I was doing the anthologies, uh, the second anthology, in fact, um, audition speeches uh, for Black South Asian and Middle Eastern actors. And Dalbir kindly um, <laughs> sort of supported my endeavours of, of finding plays. And I really wanted to ensure that there was um, plays by Canadian writers. And so thank you so much. That's how we met. We were corresponding over email. And then Kathy, who I came across later, and, and, and it, the funny thing, about about this work right is that you don't really know when you're going to encounter somebody uh, until you start to embark on doing an anthology yourself and it was only when we were creating for black lives black words the i am festival and um and this time around it was really important to include sort of free plays which had um we felt which would which were written by black female writers and that we felt really needed a spotlight and I loved Trouble in Mind um, by Alice Childress and then discovered that um, Kathy here who's a master of so many things had compiled an anthology of all of Alice's work and so it was like oh my god and then stumbled across another play um, that was written by a South African um, playwright Fatima DK and um, and the play was oh so what's new yes and um came across that play and then long and behold it was in an anthology and guess who <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh my gosh i need to meet this amazing incredible woman so that's how uh we, we were trying to get uh, permission to do a reading of, of of both of those um those plays uh for the i am fest and um, and Kathy really helped. I mean, to to put us in the right direction, and to um, we, were, we were seeking uh, um, Fatima's uh, <laughs> email address. <laughs> <laughs> um, like Kathy, how do we get in touch? And you were just so helpful. So thank you so much. But it was amazing to stumble across all of the work that you've done, and then I've just been an, an, a fan of both of both uh, Kathy and Dober ever since. I think what's really great, Alvier, is that you're in, in, in Toronto, yes? And actually, everybody here today is standing up and championing their own particular time zone. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you're in Toronto as well. But have you also come across Kathy and Sims work in this way as well? Like, is that... No, but I feel ashamed that I haven't. Like, reading, like, hearing no, those amazing introductions. Kathy, you've done so much. And so I'm feeling a bit nervous right now being in such a... <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but I, sh I should know about your work. <laughs> I think the problem, too, with Canadian um, professionals and academics like myself is we get so insulated with Canadian, what's happening in Canada, that we don't look to, oh, what's happening in, you know, the States or what's happening in the UK more so. And I feel like that's a gap that we really should sort of address. You know. the, the only time I really focus on Canadian theaters when I'm doing indigenous theater and yeah. they don't have borders. They don't say I'm in the U.S. or Mexico or whatever. So yeah. uh, that's primarily been my, you know, interest in. in well, yeah. well, that's not true. That's also, black Canadian. Uh, I can't think of the woman who did the piece about Othello. 
It's, oh, it's like, uh, Janet, Janet Sears. Yes, yeah. Janet Sears. I love that yeah. play. Um, yeah. And then there's another <laughs> one with the kink of my hair, something like that. That's oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have I been interested in Canadian, Canadian, Black Canadian women and yeah. Indigenous women. Yeah. Oh, Just for anyone listening, um, Harlem Duet is an Harlem amazing Duet, yes. play and um and that's the play that you're referring to by janet yes, yes. Um, no janet's great I and think... she teaches that she's a professor at uh, the university of toronto too mm. she does really uh... really great work yeah i think what's spectacular as well is that i mean that one of the beautiful things that has come out of this pandemic is that it has really kind of opened us up to conversations that we may not necessarily have been having but should have been having because these are exciting and interesting conversations to be a part of i don't think there's any real shame like at all in being isolated because there's so much work to be done in your area in your field that it can almost become overwhelming to reach beyond that but again it is really wonderful to have you all here today so we are so thrilled um i do have to ask the very first question i must ask because all of you anthologists for each and every single one of you why create anthologies? Uh, we'll start with you, Dalbir. Sure. Um, how did I get into it? Uh, I think I grew up in Guelph, uh, <laughs> which is a small town in Ontario, Canada. Um, it's the hometown, uh, hometown of Nev Campbell from the screen film, so that's our claim to fame. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it was really a predominantly white um, community. And so in drama classes, when I was the teen, really there wasn't much in terms of drama scripts in our classes to really look at or to um, act. Um, and a lot of it wasn't even Canadian. Um, a lot of it came from America, like Neil Simon. We did Sunshine Boys, you know, those really old, uh, somewhat dated pieces. Um, so when I got into university and when I started to become more of a scholar and academic, I started noticing a lot of gaps, particularly um, around the South Asian community, because there are a lot of South Asian artists and playwrights who work not only in Toronto, but in the rest of Canada. But a lot of their work just wasn't published, like it just wasn't out in the world. And so a lot of people just didn't know who they were. So I got to thinking and started was like, you know, how do we correct this? So an easy way to correct it was just really, you know, crafting an anthology and including all of these pieces um, or the sort of seminal pieces from the South Asian community. Um, and so I got in touch with Annie Gibson who runs Playwrights Canada Press. Um, and I think I just sent a proposal to her and she was really interested and that's how it sort of started and then pretty much every year since then I've done some sort of anthology <laughs> so it's really kind of balloons um but uh yeah that's how it sort of came about oh thank you and Kathy how about you uh for me it was very interesting first of all I'm not a trained scholar I'm a lighting designer but uh in my case um I was already working on African Americans behind the scenes because I, someone made me angry at grad school. I'm always doing projects usually when I'm angry about something. But the, <laughs> the anthology of uh, the black, early black women playwrights came about, um, I was at a conference in the, in the 80s. It was, a, you know, it was a black festival, black theater festival. And there was a very prominent scholar on a panel. 
who basically said Lorraine Hansberry was like the only black woman playwright. And it's like, what? She really say that? Uh, because at the time there was this very prominent um, book called Black Theater USA by James Hatch. It was written in 1970. And in, in, in that book, he has a whole section on early black women playwrights. And I just remember being so angry hearing that. And then I went to another panel and someone else basically said the same thing. It's like no one before Hansberry wrote anything of, of really of any interest. And I just remember being outraged. And um, I, I called my sister, who's a, a scholar. Um, and I said, this is ridiculous. I can't believe someone said this. And she said, you need to put together a book. Uh, and then I, I did. It, it took me a while to do it. But I, I started working on this in between lighting and teaching and everything. And so that's how that came about. And I called it before 1950s because there was an, another scholar who was a mentor of mine who had done the first collection of plays by black women called Nine Plays by Black Women, uh, Margaret Wilkerson. She did this around the early 80s. And I talked to her about it and she said, oh, well, you should do before 50s because my book starts uh, in the, after the 50s and it could be a nice companion piece. So she was very instrumental in helping me find a publisher and everything. And so I did that. It was really a labor of love. You know, it wasn't because I needed to get tenure or anything. It was just something I felt very passionate about. And um, one of the playwrights in the book, she was the only living playwright, Mae Miller. Uh, and so she was very helpful in my putting the book together. And so when I published it, you know, it did, it did very well, you know, you know, for a theater book, you know. Um, and so that's how I got started on that one. And then the other ones came about for other reasons. So It's quite interesting that it, it, I think it, from all the people I've ever spoken to really who created something along these lines, especially POC playwrights or, you know, editors, it's always either I was very angry <laughs> or it's a labor of love. It's either angry or a labor of love. Like Sim. <laughs> and sometimes it is both like yeah. Samelia you've done um, four uh, monologue books that I swear by and I absolutely love them um, one of them being uh, well two of them being for specifically black um, actors and then being the other ones being for black uh, Asian and Middle Eastern um, sort of like works of, to kind of accompany actors as well and of course you've got black lives black words but for you and i love them guys it's it's really <laughs> i'm a big fan and i say it in every episode <laughs> but uh for serious amelia why did you start creating these anthologies as well yeah um again a, both a labor of love and because i was pretty angry too to be honest <laughs> with you i mean i think that um <laughs> I think, you know, what helped was, that, okay, as a director, um, I was constantly looking for plays, right? Mm. That's what we do. We spend loads of time just looking for plays. And I was in South Africa working as an assistant director on Magic Flute and Christmas Carol. It was a, um, a co-production with the Young Vic Theatre. Uh, um, and I remember looking and not and really struggling to find plays that had been published um, in South Africa specifically by black and by what's referred to as colored communities uh, and I um, was really frustrated by that um, and everyone kept on saying to me I told you God I don't and I was just like why <laughs> is <laughs> they just keep signposting me to this white man um, and so and you know and it's obviously very controversial who actually wrote those plays right um, but let's not get into that um, but um, and then 
um, met Kwame Koyama actually in South Africa, and um, and we both, you know, had that uh, that same level of frustration. And he went on a similar journey to what Kathy Perkins was talking about, which is really going to events and people just talking about one or two people really, and then and then you might hear someone mention the third person, right? And um, and so when Kwame came to me and, and, and asked me to troubleshoot this, uh, the, the play archive, the black play archive, I, I obviously was already in that mindset. So it was an immediate yes mm. for me. Um, however, I went on my own journey. And for me, it was having the privilege to sit, research, ask people to sort of dig in their basements, onto their beds, wherever they, <laughs> wherever they sort of had these scripts from the 60s, the 50s, you know, um, onwards. Um, and so, um, and then took, and then having the, the privilege of having that library then, you know, having access to the work and knowing what plays had been published and what plays hadn't been published. Um, and then um, out beyond the, the, the Black Play Archive sort of online resource, for me, it was most important to get that work in the hands of the next generation. That how do mm. we preserve our history? How do we preserve and give flowers to those who have led the way, right? Who've, who've given us all this amazing work and knowing also that the, the plays that we're talking about tend to get produced maybe once, if lucky twice, and then that's it. And then, and then they're forgotten about. So for me, it was really, really important that they're not forgotten and that they are remembered and that they are revived. As much as people want to revive Shakespeare time and time and time again, our works need to be revived. Our works need to be known about. And it really, um, it was juxtaposed with doing work in schools, actually. I've done a bit of stint of um, supply teaching work, which was the bane of my life, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and doing that and recognizing that those students were just being educated on the same curricula that, that I was. They were doing exactly of mice and men, shakers, and you know, the same mm -hmm. plays over and over and over again, the same um, literature over and over and over again. And for me, that was so problematic. It was so problematic. Not only was it completely outdated, and in those um, texts, it's, it's, it's so, um, there's some, real, there's some real problem areas in each of those texts, as you can imagine. And the fact that there's such a lack of representation within those texts. And then I just, it led me with a question of why are we sending our children to these schools if they're not mm. going to see themselves in any of the material that they're being taught? So hence why, this is a long story of saying, that was the motivation for creating these anthologies was say, how do we get it in the hands of our young people, of our creatives, so that people who are going into positions of power, people who, who are in positions of power can make different choices. And, um, and, and that can feel validated and a sense of validation that we didn't have coming into this industry because we didn't really see ourselves and we didn't know of the rich legacy and, the, and all the amazing shoulders that we stand on. I mean, obviously, Yes, absolutely. And obviously, some you're talking to to sort of seeing yourselves and that's kind of the work that you gravitate towards. W, I mean, what kind of themes and subject matter were you generally kind of attracted to? Like, what, I guess, what are you particularly drawn to? I'm drawn to a wide variety of voices. Right now, I'm kind of in the middle of doing a project on the Summer Works Festival. 
which is a juried festival that's been running in Toronto for the past 30 years. It's a really, it's one of the most respected theater festivals. And so I'm calling together um, unpublished scripts from that 30 year history. And as you can imagine, it's, um, it's, it's been really amazing look, looking at work that has never been published, that hasn't been seen by wide public done by Indigenous artists, but by also Black Canadian artists, by South Asian Canadian artists, that people have just forgotten. Um, and there's something really sad about that, you know, that these, as um, Samilia said, you know, these plays just don't, they maybe get produced once or twice and then they get forgotten about. Um, so it's really kind of looking at all of those plays and all of their themes range from, you know, apocalyptic, you know, <laughs> stuff that's happening to, um, you know, identity issues, to growing up within an immigrant community. Um, so really, I'm really just drawn to a wide variety of perspectives. And I think as an anthologist, you have to be sort of open to anything, you know, um, that kind of comes your way and that just kind of intrigues you. Um, particularly if it's been done by a voice that you haven't really heard of. Um, so for me, I, I you know, I, like the work of established artists and playwrights, but I'm also really interested in who, you know, who nobody is talking about. Uh, work that is done by an Indigenous artist who works on a reserve, uh, you know, quite displaced from large, you know, urban areas that uh, nobody, nobody knows the name of. So for that reason, um, anthologies are really great projects for me in showcasing their work so that a broader mm. audience can can know their names at least <laughs> you know no yes yes that's amazing um kathy are you the same do you also sort of gravitate towards those kind of works or, or what themes are you attracted to it, it really varies from time to time um like i said i uh, i did the early black women and their plays pretty much dealt with social issues and history uh, I, I like plays that dwell on history because as a professor, you know, one of the easiest ways for me to teach kids about history is through drama. You know, I find that the easiest way mm -hmm. to do that. They can perform, they can act it out, they can talk about the characters. And then I did a book on uh, lynching. I, I can't remember how that came up, but there were just all of these plays written by uh, women on this um, the, this topic of lynching, and, and most of my work focuses on women. All, all of my books have been on, you know, women playwrights. Um, and then the one on contemporary plays by women of color, um, I have a friend who's Japanese American, and um, we both used to teach, well, she was at UMass, I was at Smith College, and we used to always exchange plays. It's like, oh, I'm looking for an Asian American play, I'm looking for an indigenous play, I'm looking for a black American play, and we just got together and say, look, you know, we've got all these plays, why don't we just compile it into one book? And some of the playwrights were very well known. Some of them were emerging. So we tried to do both. Um, and then the plays on women in Africa, you know, I had no plan whatsoever to do a collection of plays on black South African women. And that came about because during the seventies and eighties, I worked in New York as a lighting designer with uh, a lot of South African exiles. And so um, even after I left, um, New York and I always kept up with what was happening in South Africa and so when um, Mandela took became president in the 90s 
I said, oh, this would be a good time to go to South Africa. So I went in 95. And, well, I went for two reasons. One, because it was like the whole time I worked with the South African artists in New York, they were all men. The plays were written by men. They were directed by men, you know, the featured men or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, don't women in South Africa have a voice? Don't they say anything? You know, do they write? Plays <laughs> and so when I went over there, you know, they had heard about the collection of plays I did on early black women. And, you know, they were saying, oh, can you help us get published and stuff? And and then I just ran across all these amazing women, like, you know, Fatima DK. And, uh, and so that's how that came about. And then as I started going to South Africa on a regular basis, you know, I started meeting other women throughout the continent who were playwrights. And I said, oh, you know, and I was looking, and I was looking for written plays. And I discovered that it was very difficult for African women to get published. And so when I did the collection of plays on African women, I had no idea that was the first collection of plays on African women that had ever been published in English. Uh, I mean, I did once I started doing it. And, it, you know, it, it took me several years because, you know, Africa is a big continent. So mm. I, went, I, went to, I went to different countries. Um, and so that was, yeah, I did that one. And then... Um, the one on Alice Childress, uh, that was one of my last ones. Um, yeah. Um, and that was interesting, too, because I hadn't planned to do a collection of plays on Alice Childress. Uh, I, I don't know if I told you that I knew her, and I worked with her on one of the premieres of one of her plays. It was more like a workshop production, and then we, we became friends. And... Um, uh, do I have time to tell us a short story, a funny story? Yes, tell us all the funny stories. Okay. So I met her in 84, and we stayed friends up until the time she died in 94. And um, my first collection of plays, Black Female Playwrights, came out in 1989. And so I was in New York, and I just said, oh, Miss Childress, I have a surprise. Can I come by and drop it off? And she said, yes. And I said, you know, here's my very first anthology of plays, my first book. And so she starts, she starts flipping through. She said, oh, plays before 1950s. She said, well, you know, I wrote my play Florence in 1949. Right. Can I be in here? And uh, I don't lie very well on my feet. And, uh, I, better, I better come up with something real fast. And I said, oh, Mr. Childress. You know, a person of your caliber should have your own collection of plays. Oh. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <lies>. <laughs> <You recover. laughs> she said, oh, when do we start? And yeah. unfortunately, I never got to start on it before um, she passed. But mm -hmm. uh, um. around 2010 or 29, Northwestern Press called me and said, I mean, there may have been something in her papers or something. She said, oh, we need to do a collection of Alice Childress. And your name kept coming up. And so I said, oh, she's haunting me from the grave. So that's how that <laughs> but what I'm working on right now, and that, this is really because of COVID, about around 2012 or 2013, I just started thinking about the meaning of home. Because I think at this time you had all these people going across borders. I think it was like the largest mass movement of people in the history of the world, you know, people going from one country to the next, be it from South America to America, either, you know, Africa or the Middle East trying to get to UK. And I just started thinking about, you know, what is home? You know, what is the meaning of home? And um, 
I was going to do an anthology. Of course, I didn't have time. And, but what I did, I did a big festival in 2016 called Telling Our Stories of Home. But it focused mm -hmm. more on women from Africa and the diaspora, uh, which was a very successful uh, two-week festival. And then since we've been down in COVID, you know, I started thinking about the topic again. And I just said, okay, let me go back to this. So what I'm working on now is a collection of plays. I'm calling it Telling Our Stories of Home, um, International Performance Pieces by and About Women. And I was very deliberate in saying performance pieces and not plays because um, I don't want to say I made a mistake with a, one of the collections of plays I did where we had indigenous women in the U.S. They don't really write plays, you know, with stage directions and all this stuff. And I just remember we were forcing them to say, well, what time of day is this? Where are you? I need stage directions. Yeah. And so with this collection, I said, no, I'm going to call them performance pieces because in mm. part of the world, women don't write plays. You know, when people hear play, they think of proscenium stage and, you know, we've got to have scenery and all this lighting. It's like, no, I want them to write it in their own way. So, um, so that's why I chose the term performance pieces. So, no, don't worry about stage directions because people are stressing. I was like, well, in America, you do stage directions and I have to put the time of day and all that stuff. It's like, no, just write it the way you want it to be presented. And I think we all feel much better about that. Because um, one of the things I'm most excited about is, I don't know if you've ever heard of the CIDIs, S-I-D-D-I. These are uh, Indians who are of African descent. They've been in India for like 700 years. It's like one of India's best kept secrets. They don't even want you to know about these people. They're <laughs> below, they're, no, they're below the untouchables. That tells you where they are in society in India. But um, I brought two CD women to my festival in Illinois, um, in, um, here in North Carolina. And um, I've stayed in touch with them. In fact, I even went to go visit them in India. They, these people live in the forest because they escaped slavery and they just went to the hills like maroon. But anyway, I'm excited because uh, I will be publishing, this will be the first time any cities have ever published anything. Definitely in English. Ah. So I'm very excited. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, like I said, the theme is home. And so they're talking about living in India, but not feeling like this is their home. But this their is home. the only home they know. Yeah, they don't know anything about Africa. They know they're African descent. They know they're discriminated against because, you know, they had me cracking up. It's like, no, it's not because we're black. It's because we got the wrong hair. You know? <laughs> That's why we're discriminated against. It's like, you know, it's not about our skin color. It's about the hair. We just don't have the right hair. So uh, I'm really excited about that. So that's what I'm working on. That is spectacular. I love that. Like I, I'm, I was actually in awe of the bit of your bio that says you've traveled to like over 40 countries, you know, and you've been to South Africa, you're going to India. Like Sim, like have you gone on any sort of like literary pilgrimages? Or <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the beautiful thing about creating anthologies is that it just takes you to different corners of the world. And I've really thoroughly enjoyed um, researching um, for the books, especially the second one, um, which was um, Audition Speeches for Black Salvation and Middle Eastern Actors, mm. because I had very limited knowledge of Middle Eastern plays, if I'm honest. And, um, <laughs> and um, I knew of some um, 
salvation work or quite a lot of salvation work because I actually worked for a salvation theatre company called Carly Theatre Company um, um, and so I already had knowledge in that, in that area but what was fantastic about really focusing on international plays as well as UK plays was that I did a lot I traveled around I actually got a travel grant and I traveled around the US um, and you know went places for the first time so for instance Chicago which in fact is where I met my husband but it's another long story that was your first time in Chicago that was my first time in Chicago wow. yeah it was my first time in Chicago and I went there specifically because I think when you create an anthology sometimes not all the time but sometimes for the, my first one it might not be the experience of of the other guests here but you know, it can be quite lonely. You know, you can just be in your house and literally just be sort of sieving through the works. And the second time around, I really wanted to ensure that I was meeting writers and I actually set myself, both of them, I set myself provocations. So for the first one was, you know, how many black British plays can you name? And then the second one, the anthology was like, who could write for who? And I really was, I wanted to set myself that provocation because it was something that I was also struggling with that question, right? And I think they, they make the best provocations. Um, um, and so, um, so yes, it was, it was great. To, and then to be connected to people in Australia, like, and, and, and Canada and, you know, all these, and Africa and all these different places where now I feel like I have now a home and family an extended family of all these amazing writers, um, and, um, play specialists and, um, academics and theater, theater makers and theater leaders from across the world. Amazing. All right, Delpierre, um, what is your process? Like, what is your process where, and, and selection processes specifically when creating an anthology? Um, uh, I look to um, gaps within academia. Um, and it's also sort of born out of uh, festivals that I've held. So um, there was this one big uh, festival that I did that I felt nobody was really doing in Canada. Um, and it was based around queer Canadian um, theater. So we ended up doing it at Simon Fraser University um, in Vancouver. And I basically, along with the other founders of the festival, invited every interesting queer Canadian theater artist that, you know, we heard of um, and we were able to secure a really great shirt grant that paid for the accommodation and airfare for most of the participants. Um, so we flew in people from you know the Yukon to the East Coast um, and so it became this huge forum of people just talking about what queer Canadian representation meant for them in their theatrical practice and in the plays that they were producing. And the, it was really fascinating because it created a lot of tensions mm -hmm. because it wasn't a homogenous group of people. You think of, you know, someone being a gay Canadian and you may think of one particular identity, but there were so many different identities within this particular conference, um, ranging from people who were seniors to people who are, you know, 18, uh, people who came from different racial backgrounds, different ethnicities, different kinds of sexualities. Um, and oftentimes a lot of people didn't really, um, weren't on the same page in terms of issues and topics. And for that, that really spurred in me something, you know, I was like, we need to get all of these voices together 
uh, talking to each other. And one way that anthology works in that respect is that you do that. You, it's not simply like a calling together of the best works, you know, that you can find. It's really about a dialogue. So, you know, mm -hmm. how can people talk to each other across these different works mm -hmm. and then let the reader sort of ascertain <laughs> or think about all of the different links, you know, that combine these different people. So a lot of the anthologies came out of that. So I did two anthologies that came out of that conference. One was a book on performance texts. Um, uh, queer Canadian performance text and one was queer Canadian critical essays. So it was having academics talk to each other, but it was also having playwrights talk to each other. Um, and I think that led to some really great conversations. Um, and uh, and I think it was it was nominated for a Lambda Award in New York City. Um, so it got a good sort of international traction, I think, those books and um, so yeah, so so that's the you know that's the um, the main impetus for that. Um, yeah, I didn't really go into anything specific. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's why it's your process, isn't it? Yeah. Like it has to be what works and what inspires you. I mean, I yeah. think everybody can only speak to their own personal experiences and what moves them into actually creating something. I mean, yeah. Kathy, obviously you've done so many different types of anthologies. However, female or women-centric they are, but did you have anything that informed sort of like uh, the rest of your, like, anthologies like the first one did you learn anything that kind of informed the process for the rest of the ones yeah i did um with the first one i realized um i enjoy working with dead playwrights no, because the first collection of plays it was only one living playwright so i didn't have to deal with anybody but that mm. one <laughs> and their plays were already in public domain, but I also, but anyway. But then when I did it the second time, it's like, oh, I got to keep up with these people. I got to call them and, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was different. Like, oh, I'm working with different playwrights. But anyway, um, but that was, a, I guess that was a big shock for me. But um, one of the interesting things, because like I said, I've always taught, um, I've always used my students as a gauge to, in terms of what plays I should produce, because I'm thinking it's like, Oh, if these kids really love this play, you know, I, I should produce it, you know, I, I should uh, publish it because, you know, the textbook, the anthology, they are to be used in classes. And so, you know, there were some plays I would have students read, it's like, eh, no, we, we ain't feeling this one or whatever. And then there were some, they would just be, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, you've, you've got to publish this one, we've got to produce it or whatever. Um, so, like I said, I tend to use my students as a gauge and, and I'm not always concerned about publishing playwrights that are known, I'm always interested in emerging playwrights as well. But as in the case of the collection of plays on African women, I had a mix of um, well-known playwrights as well as emerging writers. And I was also, with that collection of plays, which is like, what, 58, 59 countries in Africa, I wanted to make sure I had a, a good balanced place from Southern Africa, uh, West Africa, East Africa. I didn't do uh, above, I only dealt with Sub-Sahara Africa. Um, and mm. trying to get plays from West Africa is difficult, even with this collection of plays I'm doing now. I mean, you can always find stuff from Nigeria and Ghana, 
but trying to find things from the, the francophone countries is very is very difficult you know um there are older playwrights that was the other thing i was trying to avoid it's like okay stop using people just of my generation so i, I try <laughs> and, and have a mix of you know younger people you know and, and age range so that's important um so i'm i've been trying to find out who are the playwrights in you know the francophone speaking countries uh and then the other issue is you know translations um you know it's mm. not a lot of um plays translated to english from like the Cameroon. well the Cameroon part of it is english speaking but from like senegal and, and places like that so <clears throat> translation becomes an issue for this collection of plays <clears throat> i'm doing now <clears throat> um i have a piece from haiti um, luckily it had been translated to English. Uh, I had a friend who translated a piece from Portuguese from Brazil. It was just once she told me the synopsis, like, I've got to have this piece. And so she was kind enough to translate it. And the plays from the CDs in India, um, that's being translated. So, you know, I had two of the plays translated just for the book. And then some of the other ones I just found that were translated, like the piece from Palestine. <laughs> that's being translated to English. Um, and then I have a piece from Venezuela that's being translated to English. Um, and I have a piece from the UK and uh, Uganda. They speak English there. So. so I was just trying to get a range of playwrights for this book, particularly from places, from countries where we don't often hear from these voices. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't know of too many plays from Haiti that I've seen that was translated to English or Venezuela, or Palestine, or Lebanon. I have a piece from Lebanon. Um, so yeah, I was trying to get a range of, of playwrights. I did try and find something from an indigenous person in Canada, but you know, it, it didn't work. And then at which point I had too many plays. It's like, I got to narrow this down. <laughs> <laughs> so most of the playwrights are not, well, they're not even, some of them not even playwrights, they're writers. Uh, there may be one name that people may be familiar with. It may be Kia Corthran, and that's if you, you live in the mm -hmm. U.S. Yeah. Um, and the U.K. is um, Zodra Inonye. Do you all know her? Yes. Am I saying that right? Zodra Inonye. Inonye. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's that's been fun doing lockdown, just meeting people from all over the world, women from all, well, there's one male in the in the collection, but he it's, he he writes about a woman, a woman. That's quite interesting. I love that you have Zodwa in there. Zodwa is from Zimbabwe, yeah. <laughs> which is oh, always <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, very spectacular. So, yeah. what about um you? What kind of challenges have you faced when putting together your anthologies? Oh my God! <laughs> Just as Kathy, I think we all <laughs> smiled then when Kathy was like. You know, the dead ones are really easy I to I know. You know, I think it's a challenge. I mean, um, I would say that, you know, creating monologue anthologies, is, is it, it really is a challenge uh, because there are so many, you know, there's so many writers and, and similar to everything what Kathy said is just spot on. Do you know what I mean? Like you have <laughs> to have this kind of internal dialogue with yourself just to make sure that there is such a diverse range of different voices that you're, that you're representing. And this and the responsibility that you carry, right? And um, we all know um, how important these anthologies are for people within our own community 
communities. Um, so I think that when you wear that, that um, when you carry that, that level of responsibility, I think that it's, um, it's just, you really fight to have, you know, when you, <laughs> when you kind of come across a play, you really fight to get the permission to, to include it in, 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 the, in the book. Um, I would say that the other challenge was, um, <coughs> just having to reduce the number of plays yeah. that you want to, you want to include. That's a real <laughs> challenge because there are so many and there are obviously there are, there are legal issues just in terms of, you know, when you work for a particular publishing house, um, sometimes there's a negotiation in terms of how many plays that you can source that are, have not been published by that said that by that publishing house, basically based on budgets um and also just getting the just just uh, acquiring the rights um i think that there's in terms of translations as well and the fact of the matter is, is that you know we have to talk about accessibility um you know um all the books that i've done and not not as many as kathy and david but all the <laughs> books that i've done are all english speaking you know they've gone to english speaking countries um it's written in english um, and I think that we still have a bit work, more work to do to ensure that the works that we create are not only written in English. Um, so there, there were, there were so many other hurdles, but, and, and when I was doing a second anthology, I wanted to, I wanted it not to only be, um, Black Salvation and Middle Eastern, uh, works, to be honest with you. I really wanted it to include Latinx. I really wanted to include East Asian, um, 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 right as well. And that, in fact, I actually, my research, um, evidence that as well you know I've got so many other plays that I wanted to include and I remember having a conversation which was you know one of those conversations you're, you're called in and like Samina can we talk about, <laughs> can just talk about who you are right now with these books and uh, the conversation with Bloomsbury when I mean, it was it was right to have that conversation you know um, but they they you know sat me down and it was you know we think that you're trying to cover too much in one publication and um and actually to just slim that down so that you can really give attention and, and ensure that there's enough works for each of uh, the uh, people who, who we're trying to serve, you know, through the, the different communities that we're trying to serve in, in, in one publication. Um, the hope is always, which hasn't really happened, I don't know how Davir and Kathy felt about this, but, you know, I um, stumbled upon this work you know, really feeling that I was armed with the resource to carry out the work and the hunger and the drive to, to do the work. Um, but I also thought that as well as my publishers felt that this would spark interest from other people who would go, why don't I do the same thing and create anthologies? And <laughs> it was so funny just talking back to my publisher. Like, so I mean, I think we need to do another monologue book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then there's the, and then after it's published, I think that, you know, people's expectations, you know, and what Kathy was saying was so true about, you know, her experience with Alice, people do come to you like, well, where's my play? Why haven't you included <laughs> this? Or, you know, and they can get quite angry with you. Like why have you, know, a lot of people, especially from, you know, people in the East Asian community say, why are you, why have you silenced us? You know, and I'm like, I'm not silencing anyone. Like that's definitely not my intention. And, um, and, and so I think that, you know, you want to get it right. Your intentions are always good. Your intentions are about getting the work out, getting the works in the hands of people who are going to really value the work and really need it as well. Um, um, but the fact of the matter is, it feels like your work is never done, right? Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It, it, 
from doing one, there's your own, your own pressure you put on yourself, but then there's the community, the pressure that community put on you as well is go, where are the others? <laughs> <laughs> and next time, can you put my play in there, please? <laughs> uh, can I, can I um, mention something that when you're saying, what did I learn from doing the collections of plays? What I did was really interesting when I did the plays on African women and the ones on black South African women, you know, just because some black doesn't give me, you know, carte blanche to just say, I'm going to publish these. But I always ask permission because sometimes, you know, I'm always, you know, sometimes annoyed maybe when someone that's not black say I'm going to do stuff on black American. It's like, well, who gave you permission? Um, so I, I went to these women. I said, you know, are you okay with me publishing your plays? You know, the thing was like, well, if you don't do it, they probably, no one will ever see them. But one of the things that kept, came, kept coming up was usually when plays by African women are published, they're usually by African women who live in the UK, who live in the US, who live in Australia. And those of us on the continent are never recognized. Mm -hmm. And so what I did when I did the collection of plays, I made a very conscious decision. If, if we're talking about plays by women from Africa, I want them to be in Africa. Not those who've lived, you know, 50 years outside of the country, but that are in Africa. Uh, and I did do Ama Adaidu, who at the time was, you know, spending six months in the U.S., six months in Ghana. But she was still very much attached to Ghana. So that was one of the things I wanted to do with that particular play. And even with this collection of plays I'm working on, uh, on international women, since we're talking about their home, I wanted to focus on women, you know, who, who are in Venezuela, who are in Brazil, who are in these specific countries. In the case of Zoldwa, she's talking about, yes, yeah, she's from Zimbabwe, but, you know, well, she's UK, that's where she lived. But I, I like her story because I'm doing Nine Lives. Do you all know that play? It's a one-man show mm -hmm. about, okay. So, but she does talk about in Zimbabwe, you know, the play deals with flight. I have you know, the, the home pieces are broken into things. You know, we've got flight, we've got the impact of slavery on home. And uh, so, yeah, I was very conscious with this as well. Okay, I want people who are living in those places who can talk about it right now. Um, so, yeah, so that's something I learned from the, the previous um, collections. And, and then again, I'm trying to deal with ages. I'm going to make sure I have a, a range of ages. I want to make sure there's a range of actors you know some young actors some older actors um yeah i would like to hear oh sorry sam continue no i was going to just add to that just in terms of like why we why we do it sorry there's so many things that come in my mind just as kathy yeah. was talking there but i would say that you know and again going back to provocations i would say that it's as much about who we're serving when we're creating these books as it's about um, making a sort of commentary, you know, um, on, on the state of the, the, the world that we live in. Like I know that through the books, I deliberately said, these are the classics, these are the contemporaries. And I was waiting for backlash. I was waiting for someone to say, you can't say that that's a classic. I was like, I am calling it. I'm not waiting for permission. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not waiting for somebody else to tell me that this is a classic or this isn't a classic or to, con or to continue to say that our works are not classics, right? Mm. Um, and I think that there just needs to be a level of just being bold and fearless <laughs> when you do it and knowing why you're doing something, knowing that you are creating, hopefully, a shift. You're shaking the industry 
up as well when you create these books they're a statement they're a mm -hmm. political statement for me you know they're a political statement yeah can i ask all of you um what other ways do you advocate for the works that you've included in your anthologies i try and make sure they get produced you know um because i'm a lighting designer and i i have you know connections with um theater companies i will say here's a play that you need to be doing you know um and then a couple of years ago i well i as I get older, I wanted to be a producer. So I commissioned a play, you know, something that I hadn't seen on stage. Again, it was, it was about home. It was actually, it was about, um, it was based on a book um, called Help Me to Find My People. Um, a colleague of mine, you know, it was a historical book about African-Americans trying to find family members after slavery. And for the most part, most of, most of us didn't find family members. And so I said, this is something I've never seen done on stage. So I commissioned a playwright to do it. You know, we, we went through it for like three years and then it, it got produced. I took it to one of the theater companies I work with. I said, let's produce this. Well, no, you produce this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so it was done. And then, you know, that's the whole thing with um, festivals. Uh, you, can, you can make sure works are done. You can make sure these pieces are done at schools. So, you know, I don't just try and publish the plays. I try and make sure that they get produced, you know, even on a small scale, you know, you know, students need to see this. Um, what about you, Delvir? Yeah, I think um, the great thing about doing these anthologies for me has been seeing these anthologies be put back into schools. Uh, so for instance, you know, when I was talking about growing up in that white community, where there really wasn't much in our drama classes. I was told recently by a school teacher who has my South Asian book now in her drama classes, if anybody wants to do like a monologue from it or you know, a piece from it, it's available. So just having those books in the Canadian public school system um, is really great for me to see. And it's also really good for young playwrights to easily access plays um, that are in printed form, you know? Um, it's a lot easier for them to produce on their own um, when mm. it's readily available. Um, when there's no record of it, it's like, how do you even hear of it? Or how do you, how do, you do anything with it, you know? Um, so there's that, yeah. So that's the main thing, yeah. Yeah, so all of you, if we could just really quickly, everybody, if you could just tell me of an anthology that you believe um, or that you would recommend as an essential addition to a personal and an institutional library, like something that you must get or you must have. We'll start with you, Sam. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> all of Kathy's, all of Dubbin's. <laughs> Just stock up right now. <laughs> um, you know what? I yeah, like I think that there's so many through. It's so hard to condense it down to like one or two, yeah. right? Do you know what I mean? Like I think that like. Oh my gosh. Like, and obviously and Yvonne, you know, Yvonne Brewster has written like black plays, you know I mean? And anthologies and just, I think that, you know, I, I would just encourage people to buy anthologies full stop, right? Because I think that it's such a fantastic way. It's like a one-stop shop. You get so much for your buck, right? You're able to then just release <laughs> it and get a real sense of 
so many different voices, so many different perspectives, perspectives on culture of like the times of, um, of politics, of social politics, you know, and, and just of humanity. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think that it really showcases all of that, but like, uh, oh my God. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I love them all. I mean, like, look, seriously, like, I, and I also, I think it's really important to, you know, and I would say this if someone was based in the UK, if they're based in the US, uh, in Canada, I think, you know, know about the local and know about the international as well. Yeah. So I would really encourage people to, you know, really learn about, you know, the, the playwrights that are from where they're from. And that could be, you know, um, in terms of like where they're based in the UK, do you know what I mean? And, and it could be sort of a, from a cultural lens, it could be from, you know, um, from an ancestry and just like wanting to look back in terms of like, you know, who you, who you are and what the many different cultures, right, that we represent. But I think, um, I would, I would say that I, I really don't want to choose. I've got so many. I've got <laughs> up right here. Like, you know what Kathy's got next to her? I've just got loads <laughs> of different amazing anthologists right next to me. And it's just the most difficult thing to, to suggest. But I, I, I will leave it to Kathy and to Davia to be more specific than I am. <laughs> yeah. I would really encourage people who aren't too familiar with Canadian theatre work to go to the Playwrights Canada Press website because they've done tons and tons of anthologies focused solely on like indigenous playwrights, focused solely on black Canadian playwrights, a lot of monologue books that feature tons of different kinds of voices. So really just go on the site and if anything sort of piques your interest, just, you know, take a look. I will second that. Playwrights Canada <laughs> Press have been so spectacular to us at, B at BTC Writers Room and it's, it's really spectacular. And uh, yes, I definitely say go to their website and really, really have a look. We have a direct link to their website on our website, www.beyondthecanon.com. So if you want like, to get there super quick, but want to take a detour via our website, you can do that as well. Very well said, Delvia. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know what, um, since you, it would be great if there was like a website that showcased mm. all of these plays by people of color throughout the world. I don't know if yeah. that's something that could be incorporated in Beyond the Canis. I, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. someone has to keep it up. That's work. But it would just be <laughs> like a central place. I'm looking for works by, you know, playwrights of color. And, mm. here, you know, you go here. I think that's a really interesting idea. And I think it's, it's, I think everybody sort of tries to build little pockets of it. Like I think as you go over the internet, you always find little versions of it. I know Black Lives Black Words has got, uh, yeah, they've, yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's something that is a lot of work. And I think that it's also a lot of research. I think it's essentially putting together of anthologies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of the same process and the same work right. kind of involved right. as well. But I think it is a very spectacular endeavor and definitely one that I think would be a wonderful addition to be on the canon. Samelia, hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> it's me, I'm all over it. I'm like, I'm all in. Like, it's already happened, Kathy. <laughs> I need to get a grant. Yeah. So. I like just to sort of 
round up our very wonderful conversation of which we're so grateful to have had all of you here today i would like to just ask you guys like what do you hope for the future of published plays and anthologies after i don't know how can we even describe 2020 <laughs> um, i don't know because could we say living nightmare I don't, but after that incredibly sort of um I guess it was a very trying week for the industry that we are in, uh, for so many people, so many lives. I mean, obviously, um, there were so many things that were highlighted as lacking in the sustainability of the industry that we are in. And we have to be looking to the future so that we don't undo any of the work that we've done thus far. So, I mean, as you guys who have come across and have found and discovered and introduced the world to so many gems, what do you hope for? I would like to see more of these plays in our, you know, college curriculum and also, mm -hmm. you know, secondary schools, they need to be there. And I think that's what many of us are working on. And, you know, sorry, George Floyd had to die um, mm. to, to make a lot of this happening, you know, so now, now a lot of schools, it's like, you know, somebody's always calling me and saying, oh, I'm looking for a collection of plays and blah, blah, blah. What do you recommend? And, or, you know, so we need to get them, and I love the term beyond the canon. Um, we need to get Thank these you. plays into our schools, into our theaters. Um, yeah, not just schools, but the, the, the theaters as well. Um, that's important. And I think once we get out of COVID, which I hope will be within the next year or two, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think the Zoom platform is interesting because, um, a lot of times you'll have people coming to see things on Zoom than other parts of the world. Because I've heard some organizations say, oh my God, we wouldn't have never gotten as many people to see a show if we weren't on Zoom. So I think Zoom opens us up to a wider audience. Uh, one of the things I want to do, like I said, I want to try and be a producer at some point. I would like to take plays and see me, this may be something you can do. You're talking about monologues you know, have these monologues online. And so people can, can see these. I, I don't know, Gabir, if you have many monologues or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking about taking, because some of the plays I'm doing for this new collection, they're one character, two character plays. And so I'm thinking, okay, I can rent a studio space and actually produce it with scenery, lights, and costumes and film it. So it's not just yes. a Zoom, it's not just a Zoom reading, but it is an actual production, and most yes. of them are short, so they could be shown in a class, and the students can discuss them. So I think we should still take advantage of this technology. Um, um, yeah, because you know everybody can't afford to go to the theater, but at least if they see it online, it's like, oh, well, let me go see it in person or whatever. Yeah. Um, no, it's incredible. We definitely recommend it. Yeah. So um, so, I completely second that. And I think that, you know, it's, it is inspiring seeing Fences, seeing uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom mm. and seeing the mm. adaptations, you know, and seeing a platform like Netflix that are airing and giving it, giving it a streaming platform. And also for it to be revisited and adapted for screen in that way, I think is there's something definitely in that. And um, I'm, I've actually, and you know, and it really is about the time, isn't it? Because I actually pitched 
to do the monologues. <laughs> and yeah. um, at the time, The Guardian, I believe, were um, um, poured a lot of money in doing Shakespeare. They did these Shakespeare soliloquies and they actually had them um, done by various different actors, well-known actors. And I, I pitched that they do the same, but with our with our plays and never got a response back to be honest with you and mm. and um and wanted them to really just put their money where their mouth is and support the work now if i pitch the same project today maybe them or some we can get somebody else to actually you know come on board because i, I i'm still i'm still not giving up on that on that idea mm. um but it does timing is everything you know kathy as you said and and you know i think that you know we can do it ourselves and in fact you know even down to me directing my husband, which was originally a play, really, essentially, and now it's a film, um, and directing that for film is actually a, a, a gateway, really, to creating more works in this way. Um, my dream is, or my hope is, um, that we start to increase the value of our work, um, and, and that comes from our own, within our own communities that we value. So, you know, I don't want to hear people talking to me. I had one director who remained <laughs> nameless, who said to me, oh, in terms of him sort of elevating his career, he needs to find a play. And I was mentioning all the, obviously, plays that are, that are <laughs> by um, POC writers. And he said, no, 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 I think it needs to be white this time in order for me to um, be, be seen as um, uh, as a director that can sort of um, I don't know sort of handle that 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 kind of that, that that level of work that could be sort of seen as mainstream and it broke my I was like you're talking to the wrong person <laughs> first of all <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that we need to obviously look within our own communities and we need people to really value and trust in our work, trust in our writers. And actually that can't be, and we also need to be directing our own work, you know, and that means that we're not always entrusting it or, 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 or handing it over so readily to sort of white directors to direct. And they're the ones that are building such, pro, like such, such a profile and reputation off the back of our work. So I always say, I've said this time and time again, it's nothing new. <laughs> I'm going to keep on saying it, but I really believe, I'm not saying that it, can't, it can never be done, but I feel that first and foremost, we need to start there. We need to actually, as we are pushing this work, as Kathy was saying, to Broadway and beyond and on our screens, that we also ensure that the creators behind it are also representative. Um, um, and yeah, that's all I have to say for now. Yeah. Mm. how about you Delpia what are your hopes yeah there's a lot of hopes but you know I think this downtime has been maybe a blessing in disguise because it's led to a lot of conversations through the zoom network I know that I've been invited to so many panel discussions or talks where artists are kind of talking to each other through zoom about their work um, there was one recently about mental health and yes. you know theater which I found really interesting um, and also theaters are taking this time to be, I think, more affirmative. There's one theater called the Belfry Theater in Vancouver who's using this downtime to create more tangible links between them and the BIPOC community. So people are trying to use this time to, you know, maybe um, create positive change for when COVID is over. Hopefully we'll get into a theater space that's a lot more um, positive and diverse. Um, and I'm hoping that a lot of these anthologies and a lot of the work that we're doing um, can be maybe catalysts to them producing some of this work when everything goes back to yeah. normal. So I'm, I'm trying to stay positive and be really hopeful about the future and 
you know, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have soldiers of change within our community, like you yeah. all. So we are fine. <laughs> we are we are very very um, enthused. I would say, like we're incredibly passionate about the work that we do, and I see it every day. In when I come across people like yourselves, and I think uh, Sim is right. We just got to keep making it, keep pushing for it, and thank you so much, every single one of you, for being part of this conversation. Oh, I feel it, it's so ah oh, yay. <laughs> I also think that it's um. It's definitely something that I think should inspire a lot of more people other than just me who's here with you right now. And I cannot wait for other people <laughs> to really, to really, really experience this. So thank you so much. Sim, do you have any final thoughts? No, just the fact that um, Kathy and Arvira, let's get together. Let's make some change happen together. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yes. I'm, I'm really um, so inspired by both of you. And thanks um, again for being a part of the BTC Writers Room and our first roundtable conversation. Let's hope it's, this will spark many more conversations between, between us. And uh, yeah, and wish you all the best for your future endeavors um but yeah thank you you you've been listening to season two of beyond the calendar writers room podcast with your girls sim and saru if you want to find out more about beyond the canon please visit www.beyondthecanon.com and you can follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at beyond the canon And please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.